Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. You can go ahead and be seated this morning. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Today's going to be a great day. Amen. Today's Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Excited to have you with us this morning. Get to celebrate how wonderful you are, how blessed we are to have you in our lives, and get to give away a few gift cards here. Um, If I didn't misplace, there they are. Bear with me. All right. The moms that won the gift cards are Kim Idol. Lori Kylie, yes, good jobs. Thanks for being moms. And Kaylee Snyder. So if you are one of those three moms, congratulations. Right after the service, you can come up and see Dozer, um, this hairy man sitting to my right, your, your left. He's got uh, the gift cards. So again, it's a Tuscan... Tuscan Sun Spa, Freed's Greenhouse, and Oliverio's, and so he can either determine what one you look like you need, or uh, he can let you select. Uh, that'll be entirely up to him, but, but congratulations. We love all of our moms, so we're very appreciative for all of you. I want to take a moment and acknowledge a particular category of, of moms and do something special for the single moms that are here this morning. You know, the Bible talks about showing special care to the fatherless, that we're supposed to care for those who are fatherless, which obviously is talking about kids that grow up without a dad, but that's not the only person that has to deal with being fatherless. Moms that don't have the partner that God wanted them to have in raising their children also are operating as as fatherless. And so we want to do something just to bless you, something small to let you know we love you, we care about you, we want to be a a support to you. And so uh, we we want to give you a small gift. If you wouldn't mind just lifting, if you are a single mom this morning, if you just lift your hand, one of the ushers is going to bring you a gift. You can hold it up, not looking to embarrass anybody in any way. We just want want to bless you. So we'll take just a moment and keep your hand up. You know, moms are so important. I was thinking just this week of how before God sent Jesus, a step that was required is that a mother needed to be secured and that God had to appear and recruit Mary to be a part before he could carry out his plan because there needed to be someone to mother, to care, to foster the, the call of God. And the same thing is true in our lives. Moms play such a crucial role in raising up young men and women of God, fostering the call of God on our lives, shaping us, giving us guidance and direction. And so we're really appreciative of all of the moms here. And in just a few minutes at the end of the service, we'll take a moment and pray specifically for our for our moms. I want to continue the series that we've been doing for the last few weeks called Almost Heaven and believe that what we talk about today will be a part of the series but maybe have some special application to moms. But we've been in this series where we're talking about advancing the kingdom of God. That that's, that's not just a, a song that we sing related to West Virginia when it comes to almost heaven. That's actually a mandate and an assignment on men and women of God to make where God has planted us as close to heaven as possible. That's what Jesus said. That our prayer, our desire should be your kingdom come, your will be done, not just someday when we cross through the pearly gates, on earth as it is in heaven. That, that's our job that we are ambassadors representing heaven, making decisions that enforce, enforce the kingdom of heaven where, where we are. And so I, I want to continue that series this morning. I really feel it's like God is, God is testing. He's trying us as a, a church family, developing us. When we started this series, I shared with you that in my mind, at least, this was going to be a series where we really just uh, kind of focused on outreach and going out and winning the lost and, and those kinds of things, and we'll get there. But really, for about a month now, God's had us focusing on the condition of our hearts and uh, preparing us, revealing things, making, making changes. I feel that that's what he's doing in us as a church family. You know, there are things that before you use them, 
you inspect them, you examine them before you make use of them to see if they're capable of doing what it is you had in mind to do, right? When I was a youth pastor here, we had a bus that we used. It was a 30-passenger bus, and you had to have a CDL in order to drive the bus. So if I was going to use the bus to take kids to youth camp or whatever, I, I had to take a test and get my CDL with a passenger endorsement, all, all those kinds of things. And there was a guy from the church that was a bus driver, and he was helping me practice, drive the bus, and you know, had me doing all kinds of different things, getting ready to go for the exam. And part of the exam was before you did the driving portion, every time you drove the vehicle, you were supposed to do a walk-around inspection to make sure first that that vehicle was, was ready to be driven. And so there was all kinds of parts that you were supposed to inspect. And I'm not really, I'm not really a car guy. I, I like cars. I like nice cars, those kinds of things. But as far as being like mechanically minded, uh, that, that, that's not me. And so I remember memorizing a list of things and knowing kind of where they were generally. And then when it was time for me to do my test and the instructor was there and I was supposed to show him how I was doing the, the walk around of the vehicle, I just kind of vaguely moved my hand and pointed kind of, all right, right now I'm looking at the, uh, the calipers and the you know, flux capacitors and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even remember the list. I had, I had all the car parts, you know, the telecasters and whatever else, the brake lines. I'm just, I had a list of things and I knew generally where they were and just kind of motioned towards them and, and he bought it. Uh, so I ended up passing the test. Uh, I apologize to those of you who had children that were in the youth at that point in time, or if you were in the youth at that point in time and the vehicle was not being properly in, inspected. But the point is, before you, you were supposed to use something, you, you inspect it to make sure that it's ready for the job that you have in mind for it. Have you ever been brushing your teeth and you drop your toothbrush on the floor or down in the sink and you start to question, like, do I really want to put this thing in, in, in my mouth? Or I don't know if you've had this experience. Every once in a while, I'll get my toothbrush out of the drawer. It just doesn't feel like my toothbrush. You ever have that happen? It's like, I don't know if this is even my toothbrush. Who's to, it just, something feels off. You ever had that? When I have those moments where something happens, I don't know if you ever do that. You turn the water on all the way hot and just let it run until it's like steaming and then you, you hold your toothbrush. There's probably no like scientific, uh, you know, nothing actually happening, but I feel better if I just run it under hot water until I feel like, okay, that ought to, that, that'd probably do it. That'd probably clear off all the, the germs and, you know, make it suitable for, for going in my mouth. I don't know if you do that, but the you're like purifying it. At least I think that I'm purifying my toothbrush, getting it ready to use the way I want to use it. Or if you get a spoon, when I get a spoon out of the drawer or out of, uh, at, at a restaurant, I always kind of give it a once over, right? Just, just can't, you can't be too safe with these kinds of things. Look, look it around. There might be a little crusty stuck on the back from the dishwasher or something. So I just kind of inspect it. And sometimes if I want to be extra careful, I'll do this. And then now, now I know it's, it's ready, to, ready to use, right? Before I use, I want to make sure this thing is pure. I want to make sure this thing is ready to be used the way I want to use it. And God feels that way about his people. Paul even wrote to Timothy and said that he should purify himself. And he compared him to being a vessel or a utensil so that he would be ready for God to use for special use. So that, I feel like that's what God has been doing in the first few weeks of this series, really dealing with our hearts, preparing us, inspecting us, bringing things to the surface that need to be dealt with early on in this series, we talked about making sure that we love God with all of our heart, that we love Jesus more than we love anything else, right? That it's not enough to, to really, really like Jesus, to love him with 50% or even 80% of our, of our hearts. The Bible says we'll seek him and we'll find him when we search for him with all of our hearts. Christianity doesn't work partial, halfway, giving him part of our heart. It's a frustration to God and it's a frustration to you. It doesn't work if we approach it half-hearted and we've got to be all in. If we're going to do this thing, let, let's go all in on the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's give him all of our hearts, all of our mind. Let's not mess around. If we're going to serve God, let's serve him all the way. Otherwise, just quit wasting your time. Either serve God or don't. So we took time to talk about that. We've got to love God with all of our heart. We had a Sunday where we examined our hearts and repented of things, consecrated ourselves unto the Lord. John G. Lake said that the place of strength and the place of victory is the place of consecration. That if we want to experience victories in advancing the kingdom of God, we've got to be people that are genuinely consecrated to the Lord. If you were here last week, 
Last week, we talked about taking your place, stepping into the calling, the role that you have in the body of Christ, the anointing that God wants you to operate in, and not allowing things to keep us from the destiny that God has for each one of us, that every person in the body of Christ has a role to play. We looked at the story of Gideon, that Gideon was living in fear. He, he was acting like a coward. God sends an angel to talk to him, and the angel greets him by saying, mighty man of valor or mighty, mighty hero. He's talking about as a great man of God and says, the Lord, the Lord is with you. And then the angel starts to talk about how God wanted to use Gideon. God wanted to use Gideon to destroy the enemies of God's people. He wanted to bring deliverance, protect God's people, establish the kingdom, advance the kingdom. And then Gideon kind of goes back and forth with this angel. Well, if God wants to use me, I'm just the least of my family. What about these issues? If God's, if God's really with me, how come these kinds of things are happening? And he kind of had to go back and forth, but eventually get to a place where he would believe what God had to say about him. He would believe he was who God said that he was, that God really was with him, that God really did want to do something significant for his kingdom. We said, we've got to do the same thing. If you want to fulfill your destiny, you've got to do the same thing Gideon did. You've got to believe what God's word has to say about you, despite your feelings, despite what other people will say. The word of God says that you're gifted, that you're called, that you're chosen, that you're anointed. You've got to choose. I'm just going to live my life like this is actually true. I believe what God's word has to say about me above everything else. You've got to believe that God really is with you. He's for you. He's not against you. That you have an anointing from the Holy One. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You carry the presence of God and that God wants to to use you in a significant way to be a deliverer for other people, to push the enemy back, to advance God's kingdom. You've got to really believe that. Then we talked about some tests that we have to go through when Gideon rounded up some men to bring about this victory that God wanted him to do. The first test was the test of fear. Judges chapter seven, the first few verses says, tell everyone if they're afraid, just go on home. Just forget it. If you're afraid, you are dismissed. We talked about different aspects of fear, insecurity. Insecurity. We looked at King Saul, the life of King Saul, how he was called, he was anointed, he was chosen. Just like us, there was a specific role, something God wanted him to do. But on the day that they were going to crown him king, they called his name. They couldn't find him anywhere. It turns out he was hiding in the baggage. And we talked about the temptation in some of our lives to allow things in our past, different issues that we're dealing with, who, you, who we used to be, things we used to do, what other people might think of us, to be like baggage and use it as an excuse because we're too insecure to really step in and own the anointing and the role and the title and play the part God wants us to play. That we're not going to be people that hide in the baggage, amen? That we're not going to walk in insecurity. There's going to be a boldness. I believe what God's word has to say about me. That, that, that's going to be our attitude. Don't hide, don't hide in the baggage of your lives, different failures, different, different things you used to do or identify with. You know, when I was first getting involved in ministry, there, there was someone who knew me when I wasn't serving the Lord. And they, they said one day, they said, hey, if you're, you're going to start telling people you know, to live holy and all these kinds of things. Don't you feel like a hypocrite when you do that? You're going to tell people not to do the things that you spend a, a lot of time doing? And I, I said, no, one, I wasn't hypocritical because if I was still doing those things I was telling people not to do, that, that would be hypocritical. And I said, no, I, I don't feel like a hypocrite. I, what I feel like is a new creature, that all things have become new and old things are passed away, that I'm not the same anymore, that I can tell people they don't have to live the way that they've been living up until this point because there's newness of life that's found only in Jesus Christ. That, that, that's what I feel like. I feel like I've been made brand new because that's what the Bible says has happened in my life and in your life. We've been made brand new. We, we talked about a second test. First was the test of fear. Then we talked about a test of, of forward motion, of not allowing success to stall us out or get us to plateau. If you remember the story of Gideon, the next thing that happened, they went to a spring of water. God told him, just watch the way that people drink. Watch the way they drink. Out of 10,000, 9,700 people got down, put their stuff down, plopped down beside the spring and drank right out of the spring. 300 stayed on their feet and scooped up water and drank like a dog. And those were the 300 that God wanted to use to bring about a victory. We talked about a mindset 
that when we experience victories, we experience success, when we experience refreshing, thank God for it, but that's not a spot just to plop down and say, this is where I'm going to stay. Those 300 men stayed on their feet because they knew as nice as this is, this is just something to refresh me on the way to, to win another victory for the Lord. There's more ground to cover. There's another battle to be fought. There's spoils of war yet to be claimed. Those other men were content just to continue lapping up water. That's gotta be our heart and attitude. Thank God for victories. Thank God for wonderful things that have happened in our lives. But as long as we're on this planet, there's more fruit for us to bear and we don't wanna allow ourselves to stall out. We're, we're keeping on our feet, amen? Staying on our feet knowing I'm gonna keep on marching until I cross that finish line. I'm gonna keep bearing, bearing fruit. I felt last week specifically to pray for people that are 60 years old and older, that we want to be people that continue looking forward. The Bible says when God pours out his spirit in these last days, when he pours out his spirit, young men will have visions and old men will dream dreams. We talked about that. That means that when you get older, it's not a time to be on the sideline. It's not a time to collect dust. It's a time to collect testimonies. It's a time to collect fruit. It's a time to, it, you're not, you're not over the hill. You're coming into your prime. God wants to use you like he's never used you before. And so it's a strategy of the enemy to try to get you off the playing field because the enemy knows the impact, the people that have had some experience that step into that season of life, the impact that they can make. That there is no season in life where we're dismissed from bearing fruit. The, 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 the psalm that we quote from almost every week, Psalm 92, those who are planted in the house of God flourish in the courts of God. The next verse says, even in their old age, they'll remain green and vital and bearing fruit. There's no, there's no story in the Bible where God says this tree has gotten to a certain point. Hey, you can just coast it on in from here. When you're fruitful, he says that he prunes you for even, it's just always increasing fruitfulness. That's the desire of God. And so we prayed for people that were older. I know some people, I, I didn't appreciate being called old or, or whatever. The, the point was inclusion, not exclusion. Whether you can, I mean, we're all old compared to someone. It's relative, right? You'd be 20 years old. My, my eight-year-old daughter will consider you an old person. We're all old in somebody's eyes. The point wasn't exclusion. The point is inclusion. Whether you consider yourself young or old, you're on the hook for fruit. You're on the hook for either a vision or a dream, either one. Get one and have some forward-facing somewhere out ahead it's not just memories. Thank God for our memories. It didn't say your, your old men will remember memories. It says they'll dream dreams. That's, that's talking about somewhere out there. Here's what God's put in my heart to do. Man, there's things yet to accomplish. That's what he wants to stir up on the inside of us. You know, we're supposed to be spirit, spirit people, right? That we walk by the spirit, that we're spiritually minded. Amen? Yeah. Not fleshly minded. The Bible says to be spiritually minded is what? Life. It's peace. But to be fleshly minded is death. Let me read a verse to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Man, this verse is fascinating to me. You've probably heard me talk about it before. We don't lose heart. Why don't we lose heart? Why don't we get discouraged? Our outward man is perishing. We're talking about things in the natural, things in the flesh, right? It's perishing. It's in the process of wearing out to some extent. But our inner man, talking about the spiritual realm, spiritual things, they are renewed day by day. So outwardly, things of the flesh in the natural, they are perishing. That means if it's perishing, it's, its greatest day is behind it, right? If it's perishing, it's in the process of it used to be good. It's steadily less, less good every year. That your car used to be brand new. At this point, it's not new anymore. Your shoes used to be brand new. They're not new anymore. Outwardly, they're perishing. So when you take the mindset that yes, my yesterdays were better than my tomorrows, then you can understand that that's a fleshly mindset. When you think I've already had my greatest days, my greatest days in the kingdom of God, oh, the church when I was young, oh, when my kids were young, oh, when we first got married, whatever it is the enemy tries to get you to think, that's where life peaked out. From this verse, you can understand, out, that, that, that's a fleshly mindset, and to be fleshly minded is death. But when you have a heart and an attitude, my greatest days are ahead of me. Man, I thank God for what's come, but I'm looking ahead to greater days. That's not just a, a positive attitude. That's 
to be spiritually minded because things keep getting better in the spiritual realm. And when you read through the Bible, there are warnings about being a person that looks back. Ask Lot's wife how it panned out when she looked back longingly when God was calling them to something new. She turned into a pillar of salt. The apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I look ahead towards the goal, the upward calling, the up, I'm moving higher, I'm moving further, the upward calling in Christ Jesus. So we want to be careful to be people that are always looking ahead. Thank God for what's come behind, but we're not looking to plateau. We're not looking to have peaked out at some point in our past. Your greatest days are ahead of you, no matter what age category you fit in. We're, we're, we're having visions and dreams about great things ahead. Amen? So we've been talking about different tests, this refining process. I want to talk about one more this morning, and then if something, unless something changes, I believe we'll shift gears next week. But if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ruth. Turn to the book of Ruth. I, I want to talk about the test of the mundane. The test of the mundane. While you're turning to the book of Ruth, it's a, it's a small little book, Old Testament, kind of hard to find. It's between Judges, uh, Joshua Judges Ruth, so remember, right? Joshua Judges Ruth and 1 Samuel. So in between Judges and 1 Samuel, just four, four little chapters. Quick recap of the story of Ruth. There was a man named Elimelech, had a wife named Naomi. They lived in Bethlehem, but there was a, a famine that came to where they lived. And so they moved out of Israel. They moved into foreign land where they could provide for the family. They had two sons and they settled in the country of Moab. And while they were there, the two sons found Moabite women to marry. One of those women was, was Ruth. As time goes by, Elimelech dies, his two sons die, and so now we've got three widows, Naomi, Ruth, and whatever the other lady's name was, I don't remember. Naomi hears that the famine is over and things back home are, are good, and so she says, you know what, you girls, you, you're still young, go find yourself a nice man, I'm going back to Israel, I'm going back to Bethlehem. The other girl says, fine, Ruth says, no way, I'm sticking with you. Your God will be my God, your people will be my people. This is a story of faithfulness and loyalty. So they, they go back home. Eventually, R Ruth marries this man named Boaz, who's actually a type of Christ. He's, he's their kinsman, her kinsman redeemer. She marries Boaz. They have a son together. His name is Obed. Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. Jesse has a son who was King, King David. So this Moabite woman, outside of God's people, she's not even an Israelite, not even Jewish, she... she takes certain steps to be brought in to God's people to the point where King David came, it was her great-grandson. Eventually, the Messiah came from her. So there are things we can learn from the story of Ruth. I want to try to focus in on, on one of them, that we can be like her. Not that we want to marry a man named Boaz necessarily, but we do want to be like her in the sense that when people talk about our lives, they'll be able to say like we say of Ruth, she played a key part in what God was doing to bring salvation to people. She was, she was part of what God was doing on the earth. She played a role in carrying out God's plan. I want that to be said about me. I want that to be said about you. Those were a group of people that God was carrying out his plan of salvation in and through their lives. So what, what was the key in her life? Again, to go from a, just a Moabite widow into being someone that from her, from her lineage, there will be someone on the throne forever and ever and ever that she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. How did she, how did she get become kind of grafted in? What steps did she take? She's got a book of the Bible named after her. Her, her story's written down. We're talking thousands of years later, we're learning from her life. We're reading scripture about, about her. So I want to look at that. If you have your Bibles open to Ruth, you can turn to Ruth chapter two. We're going to pick up the story after Elimelech and the, his sons are dead. They've come back. Naomi and Ruth have come back to Israel. They settled back in Bethlehem. Ruth chapter two, starting in verse two, says this. One day Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, Go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. 
Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us. When you gather grain, don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working, working in my field. So one day they go back to Bethlehem. One day Ruth says, you know what? I, I want to I do something. I want to be productive here. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out. And when people are harvesting grain, I'm going to go behind the harvesters and what they drop, what's still left on the ground after they go through, I'm going to gather it up. In Jewish law, that was one of the ways that they provided for people that were less fortunate, that were, that were impoverished, that when the harvesters would go through, what fell to the ground, they, they left it, and then other people could come through and gather it up for themselves. So she goes to this field. It says she, she's working hard. Boaz shows up and says, who's that over there? And this is the report. That girl over there, she, she's the girl from Moab. And I'll tell you what, she got here this morning and she's been working hard all day long. From the moment she arrived until this, she took a couple of minutes to rest in the shelter. Other than that, she's been at it all day long. Diligent, hardworking. Boaz goes to her and says, hey, I'll tell you what. You don't have to go to other fields. Just every day you come back and you just keep on, you can keep on working here. Let's skip to the end of the chapter. Verse 23, it says, So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. So day after day, through this entire barley season, I don't know how long it lasted, but every day she got up, got her basket, went to the field, picked up what other people had dropped on the ground. Then the wheat harvest, that season came. Every day she got up, she went to the field, the same thing over and over and over again. I'm sure there were moments where she's getting up early in the morning, going out to some field somewhere, picking up after other people what they've dropped on the ground. I'm sure there were moments where it didn't feel like she was doing anything super significant with her life. I'm sure there were moments where the enemy tried to discourage her, thinking, what, what, what are you doing? What, you're, wasting, you're out in some field somewhere? I'm sure it probably wasn't on her mind that, man, someday someone's going to write this in the inspired word of God and tell the story of how I went into this field and I picked up grain season after season. She probably didn't realize the significance of it. It didn't feel like I'm doing anything great for the the kingdom of God, it probably felt more like I'm on a treadmill. I'm just wasting my time. I'm not really getting ahead here. But while she was doing that, she was demonstrating faithfulness in the drudgery of life, in the day after day monotony. She was demonstrating diligence. You know, consistency is important. Being consistent, being faithful is important, especially in a time where people get bored so quickly and want to stop, just go to, it's always go on, go on to something new. It's important to be faithful. It's important to be consistent. That when you don't get results right away, you don't have some huge breakthrough the first time you, you go put your hand to something, that you stay at it, you stay faithful, you stay consistent. You know, I, I mentioned this at prayer Friday night, but I'll mention it now. You know, there, there is a law of consistency in the spiritual realm that we can take advantage of. The, the things that we are consistent with puts a draw on things in the spiritual realm. You, you can see it maybe more clearly in a negative sense, that someone that is controlled by a, a spirit, they become an alcoholic, or they become a thief, or they become a perverse. They're controlled by a spirit of lust. That, that didn't just happen in a moment. That they did something, and they did something again, and it was their consistency in doing that that began to put a draw. So someone looks at something they shouldn't look at. They lust after. That wasn't necessarily a spirit of lust controlling them in that moment, but then they, they didn't stop themselves. They did it again and again and again, and their consistency in that behavior put a draw on the spirit of lust that now, now is, is controlling their life. People with a spirit of heaviness, they, they allow themselves to indulge in things that are sad and feeling bad for themselves and listening to sad music. And at first, it wasn't a spiritual thing, but they begin to put a draw on it by their consistency. Are you with me? So we can use that in a, in a positive way. People that have a spirit of prayer, 
a spirit of intercession in their lives. Man, that person prays all the time. It seems easy for them. It's, it's easy for her. She has a spirit of prayer. It wasn't just a spirit of prayer, that there was a season of consistency, of devoting themselves to prayer day after day, week after week, that that behavior is what opened a door, that our consistency can be like an altar that draws, draws a spirit of that thing that we are, we are being faithful in. Consistency is important. And Ruth found herself being consistent in just the, the, the monotonous areas of life. Have you ever had a season where it felt like, I don't know if I'm making progress here. I don't know if, I, if I'm really living out some grand plan that the Lord has for me. It feels a little bit more like I'm spinning my wheels. Every day is kind of starting to feel the, the same in my life. Have you ever had a season or maybe part of the assignment that God has for you that just doesn't feel like I'm really advancing the way that I hope to advance? Oswald Chambers said this. He said, drudgery is one of the finest tests to determine the genuineness of our character. Drudgery is one of the finest tests to determine the genuineness of our character. He explains that by drudgery, he means just menial tasks. Work, work that just, you get tired of it. Things that you're engaged in that you wouldn't describe it as ideal. It's not the flashy, exciting kind of thing to be involved in. He said, and when we experience it, our spirituality is instantly tested and we will know whether or not we are spiritually genuine. Sometimes the greatest tests that we have to go through aren't the tests of temptation that come into our lives or tests of the enemy bringing us under attack or people persecuting us and saying things about us. Sometimes one of the greatest tests that we have to, to go through is the test of drudgery. What, what do you do in the mundane moments of life that don't, that don't feel significant because it's our faithfulness. It's the way that we engage with certain work and tasks that makes it significant. You can take something that doesn't feel significant and make it significant by the way that you put your hand to it. But the enemy wants to point, point things out and convince you that they're insignificant because nobody enjoys doing things that don't matter. And if you, you lose the enjoyment of it, it's easy to, to, to discourage you. And if he gets you discouraged, then it's easy to make you quit. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Let us not grow weary. Don't let it happen. That means you, you play a, a key role in this. Don't allow yourself to become weary. Weary means to wear out with the passing of time. It means to lose motivation, to lose the enjoyment to become discouraged. And it says why you shouldn't let yourself become weary. Don't let yourself become weary. Why not? For in due season, in due season, you're gonna see a harvest. There's gonna be a breakthrough. You're gonna see a return on your investment. You're gonna see the fruit of your labor. You're gonna see a, a, a return the way that God is using you. But it's contingent. It doesn't happen automatically. It says that you'll see a harvest. What? If you don't give up, if you don't lose heart. The enemy wants to discourage people because if he can get you to give up, he can, he can erase the years of faithfulness you've already demonstrated and you don't get to see the harvest. It's a strategy of the enemy to discourage people because once you are discouraged, you are vulnerable to just giving up. This is something I feel like God's dealt with me recently about, allowing discouragement to creep into my life, allowing that voice of discouragement to have more of a place than I should let it have because really it should have, it should have no place. When you allow discouragement to come, you start thinking things like, well, what's the point? What am I even doing? I don't even know if this matters. I don't, I don't know if I'm even doing a good job. I, what, what, I, I, I ought to just quit. You start thinking those kinds, of, it, it removes the enjoyment. But you know, God commanded Joshua to not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. That, that's a command, that applies to us. Amen? That applies to you and I. Don't be discouraged. If that's a command, that means there is, there is a, a, a role of obedience on the other end of that command that I will not let myself become discouraged. That's something I've been saying to myself. Say, say it all the time. I don't listen to the voice of discouragement. I refuse to listen to the voice of discouragement. I'd encourage you to say that to yourself. You can try it on right now. I refuse to listen to the voice of discouragement. Say it again. I refuse to listen to the voice of discouragement. We've got to get that in our hearts because there, there is a voice of discouragement. You, you, ever, you ever heard it? Felt it? Maybe you are it. <laughs> Some of us do a pretty good job discouraging ourselves. 
what am I, what am I doing? Comparing yourself to other people. It can be discouraging. We got to train ourselves. I, I will not. I refuse. I, I don't, I don't listen. I don't listen to the voice of discouragement. I feel like God uses the story of, of Jairus to teach me just how damaging, because the voice of discouragement can be convincing. And there's some twisted part of us that sometimes likes to, yeah, you know what, you're right. What is the point? Yeah, no one, no one does appreciate me or however it plays out in your life. There's an indulgent part that likes to listen to it. But it's, it's incredibly, there's too much on the line to listen to the voice of discouragement. In the story of Jairus, Jairus is a man whose daughter's sick. You know the story in Mark chapter five. His daughter's very sick. Laying, laying at home, he goes out to find Jesus, finds Jesus and explains the situation. My, my daughter's really sick. I need you to come. Jesus says, okay, let's do it. Let me, let me go to your house. They start the journey back to Jairus' house. But on the way, there are, are messengers that come and say, bad news. She didn't make it. She's dead. Your daughter's dead. Don't, don't trouble the master. Don't trouble the teacher. It's a waste of time at this point. But Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. So he's got two voices speaking into his life. That's the way uh, we are a lot of times. We've got, we've got two voices. One voice saying, man, it's, it's been a waste. This, this whole thing, you go with the, everything you've done up in this, it's all been for nothing. Why waste any more time? Just call it off. It, it, it's, it's not going to amount to anything. You're wasting your own time. You're wasting other people's time. Why not just give up? And then there's another voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus says, no, 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 keep going. You're gonna see a breakthrough. You're gonna see a harvest. Don't be afraid. Don't listen to discouragement. You gotta keep on, you gotta keep on believing. Listen, it's one way we can learn to distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of discouragement is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because he'll along with trying to discourage you, he'll also try to convince you that's who's talking to you. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't discourage. He encourages. If when David was discouraged, it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. It's a voice of encouragement. So if you're listening to a voice of discouragement, you can know, no, 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 the, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. The, the devil's a liar. So you know the story. Jairus decides to listen to the voice of Jesus. And Jesus goes to his house, raises a little girl from the dead. Think about what was on the line in that moment. There, we don't know how long it takes this to play out. You read the Bible, it seems like, hey, she's dead, don't bother the teacher. Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. And he's like, all right, we're going with Jesus. We don't know. Could have been 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe an hour. Guys, I need a, I need a moment to think. I, was just told my, I just got told my daughter's dead. Let me think about this. And I, I don't know. I don't know how long it took. But he chooses to listen to Jesus and think about, think about what was hanging in the balance of which voice he listened to. His little girl's life, the memories they were going to make, the experiences that they would have together, what the rest of this man's life looked like, mourning the loss of a daughter or celebrating a miracle, making memories with his child, seeing her grow up and have a family of her own, getting to be a grandfather, the testimonies that she would have, her own experience in life, the, the impact her life would have and for her grandchildren and on and on, telling the story of when she was dead, but this man named Jesus came and raised her from the dead, the celebration that went on, the moment that Jesus returns her to her family, all, all of that was hanging on the balance and the same thing is true in our lives. When we have those moments, okay, who am I going to listen to? This heavy weight that says, what the point you're doing a lousy job anyway trying to discourage you it's trying to keep you from that breakthrough and fruitfulness and testimonies that God has for you that's why the Bible says don't let yourself get weary because in due time in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up the discouragement is a strategy of the enemy to keep you from the testimonies and harvest and celebration and joy and giving God glory and honor all that he wants to play out in your life discouragement is a voice that will try to cut you off from that and erase everything that you've done up until this point. If you've never been discouraged, there will come a point in time where the enemy will try to discourage you, or maybe that's where you are this morning. If you're a mother, I'm sure that happens to you as a mom. You compare yourself to other moms. You see them on Instagram. The, the crafts that they do with their kids are way better than the crafts that you do with your kids, or whatever areas of comparison that you see, and you feel more and more discouraged, and the enemy will try to capitalize. You're doing a pretty lousy job. You realize that, right? You are a lousy 
actually, mom, these kids would be better off if you just leave them alone. All the different ways that the enemy speaks to you and gets you thinking instead of embracing your role with joy and it being a treat, a pleasure to be a mom, you can have an attitude. Man, if, if I have to pick up one more sock, if I have to rinse out one more, I'm gonna lose my mind if I have to rinse out one more cereal bowl. If I have to pick up one more one more toy. You've got to refuse to listen to the voice of discouragement. Ruth is a story about a woman who spent seasons of her life literally going behind people and picking up after them. She was going around and picking up after them. And again, I don't know if she was aware that I'm playing a role in God's salvation plan for many, but that's exactly what happened through her faithfulness, through her consistency, through her diligence in the moments of the mundane, in the drudgery of life. I'm just doing this as unto the Lord out in some field somewhere. I don't know how God is going to use me, but I'm doing it in faith, knowing that every time I pick up after these people, God, you're gonna use it somehow to bring salvation to many. And now we're reading the story of our lives and the same can be true of you and I. That someday the story of your life, the story of my life is gonna inspire other people to be faithful and consistent. She understood that every day mattered. What if she decided, I'm just calling in today. I'm gonna cut out after lunchtime. Boaz shows up. There's no woman to say, who is that? Who is that? What if the report they gave Boaz, that, that lazy slob over there, she hasn't done a thing all day. The story would have ended differently. But in her picking up day after day after day, well, she was prepared to sell a, a place for herself at the feet of her kinsman redeemer. Every, every day matters. Don't allow the enemy to discourage you in your role as a mom, your role as a wife, your role as a father, whatever your role is. Don't allow the enemy to discourage you because he will keep you from bearing the fruit that you're destined to bear. If what you were doing didn't matter, he wouldn't waste his time discouraging you. The more he tries to discourage you, you can know, man, I must be onto something here. Every, every single day, is significant. Listen to this verse. You've heard it before. I never really appreciated it until more recently in my life. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Have you ever heard that verse before? That's not new to any of you. Of course you've heard it, right? I've heard it so many times growing up. It was just like, you know, if you're going to print a church for VBS or youth group and you didn't know what to put on it, put that. But this is the day the Lord has made. It was just like, you know, that's just a standard. I always kind of, I was wrong in my mindset, but I always kind of consider it like a fill-in, just like a generic verse. The pastor didn't know how else to start the service, so he'd say, hey, how many know this is the day the Lord has made? We'll rejoice and be glad in it. It was on bookmarks and Christian coffee cups. And, you know, it was just like this generic pleasantry. I never really appreciated it, but you know, all, all scripture is God breathed. It's, it's all the inspired word. There's no throwaway verses. There's no empty verses. If all scripture is God breathed, that, that verse has the breath of God in it. There's something that God can breathe into our lives from that verse, just like any other verse. This is the day, this is the day that God has made. God made today. He made it. When God makes things, he doesn't make things just with no purpose. He makes things, he, he thinks it through. He has a strategy. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's thought about how, the way that he wants it to look. It has, it has a destiny. It has a, a certain way he wants it to arrive, certain fruit. God made today. There's, there's purpose in every day, and that should change the way that we approach every morning, every day. Man, there's a plan. There's a purpose. God made today. This is the day that the Lord has made. L listen to this from Hebrews chapter 13. The first couple of verses, it says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. It's an interesting verse. It says, hey, you guys need to keep on loving each other. Keep being really good to each other. And I want you to be really good to strangers. And here's why. Some people have been dealing with angels. They've entertained them. They've hosted them and they didn't even realize it. What, what is he saying? What's the point? He's saying the way that you interact with people, when it doesn't seem like it's significant, you should make sure that you treat it like it is significant because you don't always see the significance in it to the point where you can have an angelic being. You're having an encounter from heaven and you're not even aware. Your eyes aren't open to it. So you're better off treating every, every person that you see 
with respect and with love and with kindness, that we're showing hospitality to everyone. Lest you interact with an angel and you, you treat him like a way you'd be ashamed to treat anyone. So that, that dirty guy at Walmart that can't operate the self-checkout and he's frustrating you because you're in a hurry, that he might not just be a dirty guy that can't operate the self-checkout. He might be an angel. And so you should treat him differently with hospitality, with love and kindness. So that, that's basically what he's saying, right? Treat people like they're enormously significant, even if you don't think that they are, because they might be and you just don't realize it. So dealing with people. If we take that same principle and kind of peel it off dealing with people and then apply it to our day, that it, it still holds up. That you could have a day that doesn't seem significant to you. You don't realize how important today is, but you should go ahead and treat it like it's really, really important because we, we might be entertaining a day of destiny and not even realize it. So you're better off just go ahead and embrace every day like God has made it because he has. That there aren't throwaway days. Every day is important. God made today. God made tomorrow. He made the next day. He's got a plan and a purpose and a vision. You know, the Bible says without vision, people perish. Without vision, see, I'm seeing something that you perish. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that it only applies to 10-year visions and five-year visions. So somehow we came up with it. Ah, 10 years, my 10-year plan. How about a vision for tomorrow? How about a vision for this afternoon? That I'm seeing something important. I'm seeing God use me in some way. I'm seeing myself be a blessing to someone for, for, from now until I go to bed tonight. We have a plan and a vision because God made today. That I'm not, it's not just someday is going to be important. The enemy will get you to spend your life if you allow him, thinking somewhere down the road, hey, I've got a really important day coming up like in a month. Yeah, I'm sure you do but you've got about 30 of them between now and then. So let's focus on every one of them. Today is the day that the Lord has made. And so how are we supposed to respond? This is the day that the Lord has, God crafted it. He created it. So I, sh I should treat it as special and significant. No throwaway days. Just, just, eh, just a regular Monday. No, it's, there are no regular Mondays. God made it, created it special, unique so how does it say we're supposed to respond? This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad. Now think about that. That's instruction for how to properly handle today. Once I realize, no, 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 God, God made today. My response is I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad. I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad in it. That's a key for us. That's a key for how to really enjoy and maximize and steward the day that the Lord has made. A key is that I rejoice and that I'm glad in it. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 12, verse three. It says, with joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. With joy, you draw waters from the wells of salvation. So he's using an analogy of a well that because of salvation, there's something in that well that we need to get it out of there, right? I've got to get what, the blessing, the goodness, the fruitfulness, the joy, the peace. It's, it's in that well, and I've, I've, got to, I've got to get it out. Now, you remember the story of Jesus, the woman at the well, when they're talking about water, will you get me some water? And they have this conversation, and then he ends up saying, you know, if you, if you would ask me, I would have given you water. You'd never, you'd never thirst again. You remember what she says? How are you going to get me water? You don't even have a bucket. You don't even have a rope, Jesus. How are you going to get me water, right? So she understood the way that a well works. That if there's things in the well of salvation, that I, mean, I need to get them out of there. I need to have some kind of, I need a bucket and a rope. Now, according to this verse, how do I draw the water out of the well of salvation? How do I get it out of there? How do I get those blessings? It says, with joy, with joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. So joy, joy is the bucket. Joy is the rope. They're the things in today, the things in tomorrow, the blessings because you're a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, the blessings God has for you, the way, a key to get them out of that well is that you draw them with salvation. It's with joy that you draw from the water from the wells of salvation. That goes right along with what we're talking about. This is 
is the day that the Lord has made. It's special. There's purpose. There's meaning. There's significance. Now, what, what's the proper response? Rejoice and be glad. Father, I thank you for today. I don't know what you have for me. I know you have something. I know you want to use me. I know you want to bless me. God, I'm committing myself to serve you today. I'm going to give you all of my heart. I'm going to serve you and worship you. And I know, Lord, you want to you use me. You want to flow through me. You want to bless me and make me a blessing to the people around me. And when you approach the day, when you approach the day, start it with gladness. You know what you're doing? You're approaching it with faith. When you start the day glad, you start the day full of faith. This is going to be a good day because I know the one who made it and he made me to be a part of what he has for today. There, there are no insignificant things. Listen to what it says about the prophet Samuel. First Samuel chapter three, verse 19, it says, so Samuel grew when the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. He's growing up, he's a young man, God wants to use him. Samuel's a prophet, that was, that was his calling. And what do prophets do? Pro prophets speak. So because that's what a prophet does, God caused a blessing to rest on Samuel that says not one of his words, not one of his words fell to the ground. What's that mean? There wasn't one word that was in vain. There wasn't one word that was fruitless. There wasn't one word that was a throwaway word. Well, that, that didn't matter. I just told this person that, that's not gonna accomplish anything. There was nothing that was a waste of time. Not one of his words fell to the ground. You know, God's not a respecter of persons. That the blessing he put on Samuel, I believe he can put it on other people. That, that was Samuel's role, his role was speaking. Well, what's your role? If you're a mom, part, part of your role is caring for your family. Then there's a lot of things that go into that. That God can put a blessing on you that not one thing is done in vain. Nothing falls to the ground. There's not one lunch that's packed. There's not one bed that's made. There's not one story that's read. There's not one moment of discipline. There's not one word of encouragement. There's not one game in the backyard, whatever it is. There's not one craft that you do with your child. Nothing is done in vain. That God brings fruitfulness. Not one thing you do will fall to the ground. Everything God uses it for a purpose. He uses it to stir something up in your child. He, he uses it somehow to bond that child with the Lord. As a grandparent, as a mother, whatever age your children are, a blessing can come on you. This wasn't just for Samuel. It's not just for moms. It's for all of us. Whatever role God has assigned you to, I believe there's a blessing an anointing that can come on us that would cause not one thing that you're called to do in that role to fall to the ground. Those of you that are here and your children are raised and there's things that you did, man, I wish that would have, I wish it would have taken. I, I believe God can act retroactively and go back in those things starting today. Things that you poured into your child, man, that was a waste. I, I don't feel like they heard one word that I was saying. I was trying to take them to church. I was trying to read them Bible story. I guess it was all for nothing. Not one thing you do fall to the ground. The Holy Spirit can stir those things up, fan those things back into flame. Not one thing you do will fall to the ground. As a mother, as a father, there's a blessing of God that can come on. Everything, everything. You know, there are moments in life Ministry is so much more than just standing on a platform with a microphone in your hand. Ministry takes so many different forms and we can glorify God, not just by preaching a sermon, not just by praying for the sick. God can be glorified in every area of our lives. God can bring himself glory. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's almost a strange verse. It's almost strange when you mix it in with some of the religious things that we think. What's, he's talking about glorifying God. What are the two examples he uses? Whether you evangelize or whether you pray for the sick, do all for the glory of God. No? You know, there's, there's moments in life where you, you're not evangelizing. You're not praying for the sick. We believe in those things. Those are wonderful things. That's not what I'm saying at all. There's moments in life where you're driving the car on your way to work on your way to the grocery store. There's moments in life where you're pumping gas. There's moments in life where you're, where you're folding laundry. I don't know that moment's ever happened in my life, but. <laughs> so he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory. That, that means that I can glorify God in the most mundane, routine tasks that life has to offer. And the way you, you take a drink, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. 
when you're eating a meal, when you're eating breakfast, you, you can handle a boat of oatmeal in a way that glorifies, according to this, that's what he's saying, right? In the mundane, the parts of life that just seem, man, this is so routine, this is a, a drudgery. I can approach them in a way that brings God glory and God, you don't have to be aware of it. You can be going about your tasks and someone notices it, your spouse notices it, your friend does, your child does, your neighbor does, someone in church. You've ever just seen someone from afar and God stirs your heart, it ministers to you, they never know about it. The way that, that old man held that door open. Man, God, you challenged me to be more of a servant. The way that old lady smiled when she sat on a bench, Lord, you dealt with my heart. I need to be more thankful in my life. We can go through our lives. Believe God, you're going to use everything I put my hand to. Nothing's going to be empty. Nothing will fall to the ground as a waste. Nothing will be done in vain. God, I give you all of my life because God's a good steward. If you give him all of your life, you know what he's going to use? He's going to use all of your life. One more verse, and then I want to pray. Exodus chapter 23, verse 26. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. This is in the book of Exodus. God is, he's listing blessings the way he wants to bless his people. And he's just kind of rattling them off one after another. You can go back and read that chapter. And just kind of in the flow of these blessings he's pronouncing, how he wants to love his people. He says, nothing's gonna cast their young. He's talking about miscarriages. There'll be no miscarriages. There'll be no barrenness. Applying it to livestock, applying it to wives. There'll be no barrenness. There'll be no miscarriages. And then he says, the number of your days I will fulfill. Which is interesting to me. I don't wanna... I don't want to suggest more than what's actually here, but it is interesting that these two blessings are coming side by side. A blessing of being mothers and the very next blessing, he says, the number of your days I will fulfill. The blessing of motherhood paired up with the number of your days I will fulfill. When he says fulfill, he's talking about a certain way of filling something, right? That's what he's talking, I will fulfill. It's, a, it's a, a specific way to fill something. When I was in college during one summer, I worked at a gas station. It was the kind of gas station where the cars just pulled up and the little guy would run out and come to the window and say, how can I help you? And they'd say, you know, $10 of regular or, you know, whatever. And you'd wash, wash the windows and you'd check the oil and all that kind of stuff. You remember those kinds of gas stations? Holy moly. Well, I was that little guy that would run out. It makes me feel really old. And then I would go around delivering cartons of milk door to door. I'm just kidding. But I, would, I would run out and they would say, hey, I want $10, $5, $20. They're telling what, what kind of level of filling they want, right? Uh, put this much in. And sometimes they say, hey, fill it up. Just fill it up. Let me know how much it is. Fill it up. He's talking about levels of how you fill something. That's what he's talking about in this passage. He says that he'll fulfill. What, what, what kind of fill? A fulfill. You're gonna fill it till it's full. That's full, fulfilling, right? I'm gonna make sure it's completely full. That's the level. I'm not filling up halfway. I'm not filling up three quarters way. I'm gonna fill it up all the way. I'm gonna fill it full. I'm gonna fulfill it. You with me? Now, what is he filling full? What is he full, fulfilling? <laughs> This is much more hard, much more difficult than you think. I really don't even know what I'm saying right now. Full fill, fill full, full. I don't know who Phil is, but what, what are we talking about? Days. The number of your days, what's going to happen to the number of your days? They're going to be full days. Now, we can take it two ways that, hey, if you, you're allotted uh, 20,000 days on earth and you get all 20,000 days, that's, we, can, we can apply it that way. I believe, believe there's another level of, of application that during those days, if you get 20,000 days, 25,000 days, 30,000 days, however many days, how many days does God want to be full? The num however many, you get 20,000 days, you get 20,000 full days. Full, no, no empty days. No days that, that was a waste. Man, what a waste. Have you ever said that? What a waste of a day. There's a blessing that God wants his people to carry on their lives. 
that every day is a full day. Man, I, I was productive today. I honored God today. I glorified God today. It was full of joy. It was full of peace. It was full of meaning. It was full of impact. I wasn't spinning my wheels, even in moments that seem mundane, moments when people don't notice what I'm doing. Every day is a full day. No empty days in Jesus' name. And it's interesting that he pairs it with the blessing of being a mom, as if somehow the Holy Spirit knew that the enemy would work in the lives of mothers trying to convince them that this was a waste of time. This was a waste of time. Trying to discourage them. No, the blessing of God makes it so every one of your days is a full day. There's no throwaway moments. Your day is filled with meaning, filled with impact. Three quick things and then we'll pray. Three things. How, How do I make sure every day is full? How do I embrace this is the day that the Lord has made? First one is joy. I'll rejoice and I'll be glad. We're approaching each day with joy, with joy, because it's with joy that I draw from the wet water from the wells of salvation. That's my, that's my bucket to get out everything God's put, everything God has for me. I approach it with joy. Second thing is awareness. We're not ignorant. That's why Hebrews chapter 13, those first couple of verses that we read, People entertain angels unaware. You don't have to be unaware. You are aware it's a possibility. This moment is way more significant than it seems. So I'm gonna walk with an awareness that even though in the natural, with my natural eyes, this just seems like Thursday, I know spiritually it's a day of significance. It's a day of meaning. God wants today to be full. So walk with joy. We approach each day with awareness. And the third thing is faithfulness. It was faithfulness faithfulness in Ruth's life. Every day showing up. Every day, it doesn't seem like much. I'm going to make much of it. It doesn't seem significant. I'm going to make it significant by the attitude, by my faithfulness, by my diligence. I'm, I'm going to navigate through drudgery by displaying diligence. And not one thing as you fulfill your role falls to the ground vain. Not one thing impossible. Amen? Impossible from this point forward for you to make a sandwich pour a glass of milk, drop someone off at school, give someone advice, tell someone they're grounded, tell them here's how I would raise your child. Let me speak into this situation. Whatever your role is, that by the anointing, by the, the Holy Spirit, nothing falls to the ground. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.